everyone, and welcome to the Yes Men. I, I, as always, am Lou DiPietro. To my left is my co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Doug Williams on the ones and twos. And we are here, and we are almost through the, what are we, the, the third of five rounds? The second of four rounds of the Major League playoffs this year? I don't year? know, but it's been great. Does Rays Rangers was game 163? Does that count? I don't know. It, it counted in the excitement department. Every Every single night. What happens is I'll get home from work and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll go for a run. You know, you think you have like six hours of, of day left before you go to bed, and yeah. then baseball turns on and you're waking up in the morning again. Well, and especially it, I, you know, last Friday, I, I can say I, I was I was lucky enough to have a three day weekend last week. I was off last Friday, and I turned on baseball at one o'clock. I was working, by the way. I turned on us, baseball. Us, us peasants were well, were working. Sorry, you know, it's called vacation days. You have 10 of them. You can kind of take them when you want. Anyway, uh, so I turned on baseball at 1 o'clock. Vacation uh, days are a trap. Right. They're a trap, yeah. And Pirates-Cardinals was on. That was the first game. Bob Costas and uh, Jim Cott on the MLB Network. And I didn't turn baseball off until I went to bed. So that was kind of a, kind of a nice treat. It was one game right after another, and in the ending, of course, in Los Angeles with Braves Dodgers. Yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the Twilight Zone. You look around, you're surrounded by like crumbs, and like there there are people who have been trying to contact you, and like you you don't even realize you've been out of touch, but you've been very much out of touch. I don't know what it is. I mean, last night I was watching uh, Max Scherzer get out of that inning, and how anybody can hit a baseball off of that man, I don't understand. But there really is something about playoff baseball, especially this year, that seems like it is a different animal than it has been in years past. And sure enough, I've looked up the ratings, and the ratings were are up 11% from last year uh, with on TBS. So there is more people watching. It's been a season where we've been questioning the popularity of baseball, how many young kids, how many young athletes are starting to play this sport. But it does look like people are starting to believe in this sport again as something that can be really genuinely exciting. And it seems like a lot of the teams were matched up well. You know, two of the series have gone the distance. Um, you know, the Braves-Dodgers series was a good series for four games. And, you know, Rays-Red Sox really, a couple of blowouts there. And, you know, the Red Sox really blew game three. I mean, let's be honest. They were up, you know, three runs late in the game. But then they came back to win game four. So that's really the, the down series of the four. And, I mean... Every series has been great. We're going to get a pretty good LCS either way, whether it's you know Dodgers against Cardinals or Dodgers Pirates is going to be very exciting. Same thing in the American League, whoever the Red Sox end up playing, Oakland or Detroit. And you know you mentioned ratings and and we go game five and you mentioned Max Scherzer coming out of the bullpen on three days rest to it's pitch ultimate, two innings in a game that his team needed to win. Isn't it the ultimate compliment for a starting pitcher to come out of the bullpen? It's like, it, I remember when they did that, the Diamondbacks did that with Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. It was like, look, we need this game. You are everything we have. Right. And, you know, Randy Johnson did it in 1995 in the ALDS, as any Yankee fan will remember, that epic league I, division I series. <laughs> okay, so we'll say we'll we'll caveat it with any Yankee fan born after 1980. I was probably sound asleep. Yeah, I, I would hope so. The game was in Seattle. Um, Peeing my bed. That was a little uh, that was a little too much information. <laughs> but uh, but no, you know, as any Yankee fan who you know remembers the 1995 season will remember Randy Johnson coming out of the bullpen for the Mariners. Same thing. It's it was do or die for the for the Tigers there, and they needed to win that game to force a game five. And Max Scherzer on three days rest said to Jim Leland, "Skip, give me the ball. I'm good." 
And he went out there. He sure he gave up a run, but he pitched two innings. He got the win. And here we are looking, you know, tomorrow night, game five, Detroit, Oakland. Yeah. One game all, one you, game uh, situation, winner take all. It is funny because we, how many times on this podcast have we talked about how one game, anything can happen? But now in two of the division series, we have one game that could decide this. And tonight uh, is Pirates, Cardinals, and all signs in, you know, in reality point to the Cardinals winning. They have Adam Wainwright on the hill. They are at home. However, anything can happen. Let's say Andrew McCutcheon goes four for four. Garrett Cole throws a gem. You never know what happens. And with the Tigers' A's, A's don't happen to to lose a lot of games at home. You never know what's going to happen. So, I mean, I know we have each made predictions as far as who we think is going to make the World Series, et cetera. But I I can't predict these games because, Susan, you can't predict baseball. You really cannot predict baseball, especially postseason baseball, when managers are managing like it's Game 7 of the World Series, like Jim Leland did last night, because they have to. He literally has to, you know, give everything, throw anything but the kitchen sink, and sometimes the kitchen sink out there and see what you can get out of it. Do we think that this is the best time in sports? Uh, You you mean like October? Yeah, I I think – I talk about this a lot. I think about it a lot. What is the best time in sports? What's the best month or or week in sports? Like, I know that the NBA playoffs is a great time. I'm going to say October, and I'm going to say mid to late April, early May. Yes. October for the sole fact that the NFL is in full swing. Hockey is just underway. We have the basketball preseason. We have the baseball playoffs. This is really the only time of year where all four sports are going because as as much as football has become a year-round game with the draft and training camp and things like that, it's realistically mid to late July training camp to the first weekend of February Super Bowl, and that's it. So right now, like I said, you know, you have the baseball playoffs, you have the NFL in full swing, hockey just started, the preseason and basketball is going. April, you know, mid to late April is about the same. The NBA and NHL playoffs are just getting underway. You have the NFL draft kind of surrounding it. Baseball is just getting going. And I'll throw in a third caveat. Mid mid to late March, just because of March Madness, spring training in baseball, hopes run anew. It's the stretch run in hockey and, and basketball. So that's also kind of a – if you throw the college scene into it, you've got that going on. But I think, yeah, October is number one, if not number two, it's it's right there. Yeah, I was sitting on my couch Monday and, and counting my blessings because I was watching Monday Night Football. I was watching Monday Night Raw. You were watching Monday Night Raw, <laughs> weren't you? You were no, watching wrestling. No, 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 no. I've never watched wrestling in my life. But I was watching Monday Night Football. I was watching the Rangers who were playing in, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I was watching playoff baseball. And I was thinking, wow, life doesn't get much better than this. And at least one New York team won on Monday night. Probably, yeah. probably not the one most people thought was going to win. The Jets won. That was that was shocking. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to not to sugarcoat the, it. It knocked 11 of the 31 people remaining in our Yes Survivor pool out. Doug Williams and Lou DiPietro are still two of that 20, by the way. Thank well, you very we're, much. We're fist pumping. That's right. Um, which you can't see. But um, the fist pump is over now. It was good. It was a good feeling. Because nobody had been eliminated in our survivor pool until Monday night. So I thought, every, I thought, you know what, that was yep. a pointless weekend. Pick St. Louis, whatever, safe, you know. But now I feel like I actually have a shot to win this thing. This was one of those weeks where, and, and this upcoming week too, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. Towards the end, we're going to give you our, our weekend preview. 
uh, I'll just say this, and then we'll switch back to baseball because I have one more point I want to make about about Game Fives coming up tonight and Thursday night. Everybody took St. Louis or Atlanta, except for one person. There's 31 people left in the pool heading into this week. 30 of them took either Atlanta or St. Louis. It's one of those weeks where bet against Jacksonville was pretty much the right pick. And everyone who took Atlanta thinking bet against the Jets on the road was the right pick lost out on a chance to win the pool. And one brave soul took the Packers over the Lions, which we just – I wouldn't have touched that game with a 10-foot pole, but God bless him. He won. He picked the Packers, so, hey, it all worked out. And if somehow the Jaguars had won, he'd be sitting on some He'd be sitting on some kizash right now. But – so, that, so that's that. We'll, we'll get into that a little later. But going back to Game 5, there's one thing I want to I talk about. So tonight is Game 5 of Cards Pirates. Clint Hurdle is going with Garrett Cole on, you know, his, his pretty much regular rest. Um, let's not put it lightly. A.J. Burnett was not good in Game 1. A.J. Burnett in Game 1 was more like the A.J. Burnett Yankees fans got a good load of towards the middle end of 2011. And Garrett Cole was dominant in Game 2, and now he's going, which does two things. Number one, you have the dominant hot-hand pitcher. He's going up against Adam Wainwright, who is a perennial Cy Young all-star candidate. But you have the hot pitcher with the hot hand, the young kid who doesn't know better to be scared in Game 5, so to speak. And now, if they win the night, you've got Liriano and Burnett lined up for Games 1 and 2. Which lines up Garrett Cole for three and seven if it goes the distance against the Dodgers. Garrett Cole's a fearless kid. He throws gas. You can't say that he doesn't. He has the stuff to win. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a great game. I think everybody should watch. And I think that these Pirates are doing so much for baseball right now. The combination of the Pirates and the Dodgers, I think, is part of the reason that that 11% gain right. is there in the ratings is because these teams haven't been in it for a few years. and they have Oh, these... every Pirates fan is watching these oh, games with Every single yeah. person in Pittsburgh. It's not like... It's certainly not worth watching the Steelers, so yeah. No, yeah. Not, and it's not, uh, it's not mid, mid-Penguins season yet. Yeah. Sidney Crosby doesn't have a concussion or 45 goals yet. It seems to go one way or the other. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of which one's going to happen. Um, but, <laughs> plus one, plus one, plus one. You know, so Thursday night you go to, to the Oakland-Detroit game five. Same thing. Oakland hasn't named a starter yet. Do they go with Bartolo Colon, who wasn't great? I heard they were going with Or Bartolo. do they go with Sonny Gray, who was amazing? I think they go with Colon. Because, you know, you know, Leland, I know Scherzer's probably going to be like, give me the ball again. <laughs> You know, he pitched two innings and three days rest, but you know that he's going with Justin Verlander, who when Justin Verlander is Justin Verlander, he's... Cornwallis. He's Cornwallis. When he's Justin Verlander, I mean, he's tough to beat, if if not even impossible to beat. But Cologne didn't pitch terribly. I think he gave up two or three runs, right? Yeah, he wasn't great, but he got the job done. I mean, he wasn't dominant. I honestly, I kind of, I want the Tigers to win purely because I... Picked them, I, I predicted, and I, I was sitting in the car listening to the radio. Uh, Michael K has been doing the radio um, for Oakland and, and the Tigers with Aaron Boone. Michael's been great. It's good to hear him uh, do national games. It's a lot of fun to hear him. Yeah. Um, yes. But I I also am worried about my pick because Miguel Cabrera doesn't have a lower half right now. No, he's he's pretty much playing on no legs, let yeah. alone one leg, and and yet he's <laughs> currently. Listen, he's not the sexiest player in the world in terms of image. He might be the best baseball player on the planet right now, even at 70%. This is a guy who's won two straight batting titles, three straight batting titles, 
was the Triple Crown winner last year, finished second to Chris Davis in the other two Triple Crown categories this year, and, and was right behind him and won. I mean, what this guy has done, if he doesn't win the MVP again, I mean, you can't, he you will. can't give Chris Davis the MVP. And you know what's so shocking about that, Lou, is that he had such a pedestrian September. Like, he didn't did not hit well in September because he was so injured. Right. And he's still, I think, going to run away with the MVP award. Absolutely. He would have my vote if I had a vote. Theoretically, he has my vote. I wish I had I'll, a vote. I'd hand out vote for Miggy stickers like, you know, Napoleon Dynamite. But, yeah, he's he's the best baseball player on the planet and even compromised, you know. I mean, he's a big part of that team. But they have they have so many weapons. They do. The Detroit team. And then, and then when I'm actually watching them, though, I realize that Prince Fielder only hit 25 home runs this year. Yeah. It was Where a down year for Prince. Go? He didn't need it. Yeah, I, I, I think that. Part of it, what what has happened to Prince Fielder has happened to Adrian Gonzalez. They're both focused on being better hitters, which is so smart. Right. They have the potential to hit for power. We've seen both of them hit for power in the playoffs. But when you got Miggy Rakin, you got uh, V Mart Rakin behind you. Tory Hunter had a pretty good year. Ajax at the top of the lineup. See, yeah, that's Johnny why Peralta is playing left field. I know for the sole fact that he can hit. Jose Iglesias is what he brings to the table at shortstop. Versus moving him or taking him out of the lineup and having a Don Kelly or an Andy Dirks in the lineup, what he brings to the lineup at shortstop is better with Peralta in left field than it would be with Peralta back in his normal position or at third base even. And I'll tell you what, if Vmar can catch a game or two, I mean, I know Alex Avila is no slouch himself. He was an all-star a couple years ago. But if Vmar can catch a game or two and let Miggy have a slight breather at DH, Peralta Peralta at third, and that improves your outfield defense with a guy like Kelly or Dirks, that team... That team is deep. They're loaded. They've got hitters. They've got the best pitcher in the American League this year, and they've got one of the premier pitchers in the American League, like in perpetuity, in Verlander. You know, that's a pretty safe. That's a pretty safe pick if you pick them to win the AL and or the World Series. Nobody can say Detroit, really. I mean, I know I picked the Red Sox, and you know that's looking good. That's looking good, but you know you can't you can't look at anybody. Really, any of the eight teams, you can't look at anybody and say, really? You picked X this year? Because all of them are just, I don't know. I don't think anybody, maybe Tampa Bay. Maybe nobody would have picked Tampa Bay the way the way they had to kind of play in every game matters sort of situation down the stretch where they may have just been burnt out by the time they got to a game where they could take a breather. But, I mean, this is shaping up to be an epic next two weeks in baseball with probably two great series could both go seven. Can you imagine Pirates, Dodgers, how fun that would be? Is there a negative outcome there? No. No. Because you either have a team that hasn't won. I mean, the Pirates haven't won a postseason series since, what, 1979? Is that is that around when the last time they were they won a, a postseason series? Yeah, it's around then. And the Dodgers, I mean, since Kirk Gibson hit that home run in game one of 88, they really haven't been perennial playoff contenders every year. And last year they were abysmal. Uh, but, you know, everybody wins, and obviously TBS wins because their ratings are through the roof. So baseball is back. It may, Yeah, it makes me happy uh, as a baseball fan, knowing how popular these playoffs are right now. I'm a baseball guy, first and foremost. It's yes, my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. And I just I, I want people to realize how exciting this sport can be. And, and I think if you look at these four series, 
even like you look at the three ones, the Dodgers beating the Braves and the Red Sox beating the Rays, both of them had great games in, in yes. them. So yep. you don't have to necessarily go five games for there to be you know really tremendous excitement. And speaking of baseball is back, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that earlier today the Yankees announced that Joe Girardi will remain in the manager's seat for the next four years. Just uh, filmed a reply all about it. I think it's great. I think we should be so thrilled to have him back on this team. He is a huge asset, and I love the way he did it. I love the way he he made the decision family first. He didn't uh, use leverage or try and demand a new deal or – you know, try and get his agent to, to or talk flat to out say, "Hey, or, the Cubs will pay me through right, the roof." What or are you going to do? To leave right. or draw this out, like we see all the time. So he didn't do that. Made me happy. <clears throat> yeah, and and I agree with, you know, Doug. You wrote the article that uh, was leading the Yes Network website earlier today, uh, and the first line, if I remember correctly, was the best way to show appreciation for a great employee is to give him a big fat raise, and that's what the Yankees did. Joe Girardi did. I mean, 2008 notwithstanding, because that was his first year on the job and things, you know, there were injuries, things happened. The team didn't make the playoffs. 2009 was the gravy train for him coming off that, I mean, to the World Series. He's been a great manager for the Yankees for, you know, the last five years, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 6 years now. But this year may have been the best job he's done as a manager. Navigating a team that used 56 players to 85 wins and staying in playoff contention until the final week of the season. He's going to, we've talked about this, he's going to get manager of the year votes. Will he win it? Terry Francona and John Farrell kind of, I think, have the inside track on that. But he's going to get votes, and he deserves them. And he is the guy. Now, I mean, it would be, I'm going to speak from a fan's perspective. It would be weird to have seen anyone other than Joe Girardi in that manager seat next year, knowing the transition this team is going to go through. And even though Hal Steinbrenner said on Francesa yesterday that the 189 is kind of the, the mantra, but it's not going to come at the expense of putting out a competitive baseball team, the Yankees next year are going to have a different identity in some way, even just because Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit are gone. They're going to have a different identity in some way than the Yankees of this year or in the past. And it would have been weird to see anyone other than Joe Girardi sitting there steering that ship. Yeah, it'll be a familiar face on a team that's not going to have many of them. And right. uh, Joe Joe needs to you know, take a few weeks now and relax and, and, and enjoy, <laughs> take this a breather. New, enjoy this new contract. Realize that he doesn't have a player going on the DL tomorrow because the Yankees yep. aren't in season. And just uh, chill out a little bit. But he needs to – now his project, as I said at the end of the article I wrote today – is to build a team for 2014, and right. he'll do that with the front office. And it's not going to be easy, especially with the money clip that they have right now. And um, I don't think they want to be the Yankees of old and, and go out and spend money on huge pieces. They need to put together a team piece by piece, and I think they'll be able to do it. All right, with that, let's get to let's get to something that's uh, occupying the S Network airwaves these days. That being Brooklyn Nets basketball. The uh, the Nets opened their preseason on Tuesday night with a big victory over the Wizards. And with us on the line now, Doug, we have our first ever guest on the Yes Men. We have one of the Yes Network's finest, Blake Shear, who was down south with the Nets for their training camp and got up close and personal with everything that happened leading up to their victory over the Wizards. So, Blake, welcome to the Yes Men. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Blake, we're psyched to have you on the show. Uh, how was your experience down there, down south, with the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets? 
It was actually really fun. It was a new thing for the Nets to go down for training camp and go away from being in New Jersey. So I think it was an awesome experience. I think it was really interesting. They should do it every year, in my opinion. Now, first question that comes to mind, it's probably not the most important one, but you were at Duke, and Mason Plumley is an alum of Duke. How was that? How was it for him being back on campus? Well, we actually got a chance to go around. He showed us around Duke with me and Sarah Kustak, and it was awesome. He was like a mini celebrity. You know, his brother was still there, so his brother came in and visited him. Coach K was talking one-on-one with him. It was exciting. Definitely one of those kind of cool moments, I'm sure, for him, and obviously Billy King, also a former Blue Devil, but... uh... You know, what What can you say you saw from the rest of the team? They, you know, they have a few big acquisitions there. Little, some guys named Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Jason Terry, and now Andre Kirilenko as well. You know, did it seem like the team looked like they were kind of getting in, in step early and, and gelling quickly? They certainly looked good Tuesday night against the Wizards, but that all, uh, you know, that's a preseason game. How are they looking uh, down there in uh, training camp? I have to say, watching them practice, even just a practice, was the most exciting that I've seen this team look in a few years. It was probably, you know, just the way that they run, seeing Garnett interact with Brooke and especially with Mason and just how he is. You know, I think he gets a bad rap that he's so tough, but he really cares. You could tell that. It was exciting. Pierce, just the new guys. You know, everyone seems to be really excited, and they're ready to see what this team has to offer, what they could do actually on the floor. And what's the, what's the status of Darren Williams? How much do we know about his injury and how soon he'll be back on the court? So Darren down there really didn't – I didn't see him, you know, running plays with the team. He was more uh, restricted to being on the bike watching. He was talking to J-Kid a lot during practice um, as they were running drills, as they were running plays. Sean Livingston was actually playing the point guard primarily when I was down there. You know, Ty was doing his thing. Ty Sean was doing his thing. But it was really Sean running the point when I was down there. So, you know – It was a little discouraging not seeing Darren out there with everyone else because you really want him to get the experience with Garnett and Pierce. And, you know, with so many all-stars on a team, there has to be some, you know, getting to know each other, who's getting the ball and certain things. So I think it will be interesting when we get Darren really practicing with the team because he really hasn't had that opportunity yet. Right. He's going to be kind of the, you know, obviously the floor general. So it's, it's his team for lack of a better way to put it, despite the fact that he's got four All-Stars with him in the starting lineup and a couple more on the bench. You you mentioned Jay Kidd earlier. That's another thing that, you know, this is his first season. He's brand new to coaching. He just retired this offseason. But he's got a couple of guys on his staff, Lawrence Frank primarily, who have a lot of head coaching experience, know the game, know the ins and outs, can help him along the way. What did you kind of see out of Jay Kidd in terms of of the way he ran practice and, and kind of getting comfortable with being the head coach? Well, I think that being at Duke had more than, you know, not only training camp for the players, but it was also a training camp for Coach Kidd, especially being a coach. You know, Coach K and his staff were down there watching Coach Kidd, how he ran practice. So he was able to get some feedback. I know on NBA TV you didn't really see Coach Kidd, you know, speaking his mind, running the drills, but you can't blame him. He was a player. He used to be used to taking those orders to find your own way of how to get the team to do those, it has to be hard. So, but every morning before practice, he like had a meeting with the players, closed door, then they came out, ran practice. So he's definitely speaking. He might not be running the, running the practice like we see Al Frank and Coach Welsh, but like he is going to get there. He's just trying to find his voice. I definitely saw him speaking one-on-one with players. Players kept going up to him, asking him questions. You know, it might not be in a group setting, but he was definitely getting his coaching style because we all know he's able to be a leader on the court he can run point i think he's going to get that leader he'll find his voice and become a leader soon 
Uh, Blake, what's the status of Reggie Evans' beard? So Reggie Evans had to shave his beard. He lost the bet, which was a little sad, but he is growing it back. And I have to say, he's, he wants to get it back on. He wants to get the length back to where it was. That's what he was hinting towards us. That thing was kind of kind of had a life of its own going on there at the end of last season. So it's uh, definitely the, a fear the beard. The local, the local bird species were, were nesting, and, and that was the point where it was like, we got we to gotta shave this thing, I think. Now, I thought his beard was better than Hardin's, personally. Well, you know, we can uh, maybe we can talk to Reg and see if he'll uh, see if he'll rank some beards for us coming uh, coming up in the near future once he grows that facial hair back. Blake, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for being our first guest on the Yes Men and for all that wonderful insight on the Nets. And hopefully, we'll be talking to you in the near future. Thank you, Blake. Thank you so much, guys. Okay, that is Blake Shear, one of the Yes Network uh, producers who is down in training camp with the Brooklyn Nets. Blake's the best. Yeah, she really is the best, and we'll uh, we'll have her on more often. She's uh, as much as you know Sarah Kustak and the, the the team is around the team. You know, Blake also is kind of there on the production end, so she can lend that that sort of mindset, I guess, to the to the audience in, in terms of of what. Uh, what someone with an untrained eye, I guess, sees, you know, Sarah's kind of the, it's her job to report on the doings of the team, where someone like Blake we can bring in for the, kind of the fan's eye view almost, in, in a sense. So we'll be talking to Blake a lot more during the season. One of the other things, too, we have on the website, Doug, uh, I wrote uh, the Niner this week about the biggest trades in Nets history. We'll see, you know, on paper, the KG, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry trade is going to make them a legit contender. And on paper... You can probably say this is, I mean, depending on what you think of the supporting cast of the Heat, this is arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference on paper. Number two or three at worst. It's going to take a while to see what exactly that trade turns into. I mean, you know, you see Darren Williams, you know, is one of the trades on that Niner, and he kind of was the leader of the team through the end of the lean years, and then here it is in Brooklyn. He's the leader of the team. You know, his numbers went down a little bit, but... The team's wins went up by a hundred percent. You know, Gerald Wallace wasn't on that Niner, and I know a lot of people are probably going to look at that and say, "Why not Gerald Wallace?" But let's be honest, Gerald Wallace sort of got lost in the shuffle last year, and it looks like at this point, if everything goes to plan, his biggest impact on the Nets is going to be being the guy they traded for Pierce, Garnett, and Terry. Um, You know, there's a million trades in between. Jason Kidd is obviously on there. Richard Jefferson and Jason Collins from Houston was a huge trade back in 2001 because there may be no better, quote-unquote, second banana in in the NBA in that decade than Richard Jefferson with with Jay Kidd and with Vince Carter. Yeah, I like using a a new phrase for on paper, and it's called in video game. It's like, well, in video game, they're, they're really high up there in the ranks because they are like a fantasy draft team right now in a video game in nba 2k and if you're uh, chip kelly you may or may not be actually using legit video game plays against the giants but right we'll yeah just, we'll leave that alone i know it's still sore uh <laughs> wow yeah wow yeah. we're talking a, about the nets it was a sloppy game for both teams that's me, all i'm gonna you, say you jab me with a dagger and you twist it uh, it was a sloppy game for both teams and assassins neither, Creed neither one style. of them really deserve to win let's um, be fair. go ahead anyway um, I, I really think that the Nets team has only one problem. It, it, first, we thought it was their bench. It's not going to be their it's bench. It's that 14th man, isn't it? You're really just not a fan of Toko. No. It's not going to be their bench. <laughs> it's not going to be their home field advantage, their crowd. It's not going to be their coach. I really think the combination of Lawrence Frank and Jason Kidd is really going to get this team in line. Mm-hmm. I think their one problem is going to be staying healthy. 
And uh, I think, as I've yep. said before, I think Kevin Garnett's actually going to have a big year. I think he's going to play his way out of the whole not playing back-to-back games thing because I think they're going to need him. Right, especially and, if Darren Williams' ankle is bulky at any point throughout the year right. for more than just a game or two. Right. So think about it. Darren Williams and Jason Terry are already hurt. I'm sure they'll be fine, but they're already hurt. And then Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett are both old. I mean, they're older guys. Right. And, you know, the one thing you can't underestimate, though, is you talked about how the Nets bench is not going to be a weakness. I mean, when you take your starting five off the floor and you bring in the next five, quote-unquote, you're bringing in Reggie Evans, who started with 30, 40 games last year over Chris Humphreys. Um as your power forward. You're bringing in Andre Blatch, who thrived behind Brooke Lopez last year. You're bringing in Andre Kirilenko, who is a former, you know, he was the man in Utah for a little while. He's now a bench option. Sean Livingston is one of those guys where injuries have made his career much less than it could have been, but he's a very talented basketball player. And the Jet is the ultimate six-man. That's a solid... That's probably better than the starting lineup the Bobcats are going to throw. I'm sorry, are they the Hornets again now? Whatever Charlotte is called. Pelicans? No, it's New Orleans. Whatever. Not good. That's what they're called. Whatever Charlotte is called, their starting five may not be as good some nights, if not most nights, as the Nets' backup five. I mean, let's be fair. That backup five is probably... 28th to 29th best five some unit in the league. Oh, and they're very they're very deep. I totally agree with you. And and yeah. Allen Anderson is like a 12th man. I mean, who had an amazing season last year and kind of came in, you know, amazing for him being a, a reserve. And he's now like the 12th man. And all we hear uh, from camp, you know, Blake has just told us, Kevin Garnett is really taking the big men under his right. wing. And Brooke Lopez is already an all-star. Imagine yep. if Brooke Lopez is really under the arm of Kevin Garnett With the right killer now. instinct of KG. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how much better he's going to be. And, and, and he only can go up. And, and a lot yep. of the, the combination of young talent and veterans is really, is really impressive on this team. And, and Billy King said, you know, pretty much – he actually did say it. I can't even say pretty much without saying it. He did say that Mason Plumlee is probably going to spend a lot of time in the D-League this year just because they want to get him some run. But if you see what Tyshawn Taylor and Toko did in the D-League last year in the few games they were there, I mean, they were dominant. So if this kid learns from Garnett and Brooke Lopez at the, this level and then goes down to the D-League and kind of shows what he's learned, you're looking at a guy who in a couple of years when Garnett retires – you know, if Blatch moves on or Reggie Evans, I mean, this is a kid that you can plug right in. Is going to be a front line, top line, power forward center for the Nets. So, in terms of our uh, actual yes men preview of the season, I think we're we're looking to uh, do a preview episode in the next few weeks for the Abs- season. Absolutely, I'd um, say somewhere probably right around the opener would be a good time for that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that yeah, coincides yeah. That's, nicely. That's a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. whoa, See? yeah, maybe yeah. we do have a plan here, guys. Mm. Maybe we're just playing dumb a little bit. Um, this, this podcast is actually produced, despite the fact that I don't sound like I know what I'm talking about most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, so we are running a little long here, quickly, Lou. We'll get uh, into the NFL again. Uh, yes, I don't. I don't want to necessarily give your pick away because I'm in the same league as you. But who are you looking at this week? Quickly, not the for Giants. your for your survivor pick. Not the Giants. That, that's nice. I, I, have I said anything about you know Temple? Hey, they covered the spread on Saturday. All right. All right. That's yeah. Brag, and I, brag, I have brag. the I have the sunburn to prove it from sitting in the end zone at Lincoln Financial Field. Last week's last week's pick was pick against Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and this week I can't do that because I've already used Denver. 
and I think anybody who doesn't use Denver this week, who are record, at least in the opening line, they were record favorites. And if you check out the Twift picks on the site this year, or I should say this week, excuse me, this year. If you check out the Twift picks this week, we've actually had the guys pick twice. We had them pick the game straight up, Broncos-Jags, and we had them pick with Broncos starting with a minus 28 on the board. Spoiler alert, three out of the four still pick Denver. There's a few games this week, and I don't know what I'm going to pick, and I'm probably not going to make that decision until Saturday. Okay, I've already picked, so. Okay. Um, Kansas City seems like the safe bet. That's my pick. Against Oakland? Yep, that's my pick because I don't know if you'll have a game where you're more sure of Kansas City winning than that. Right. Oakland plays really well at Arrowhead, though, and that scares me. Oakland plays really well away at the AFC West team, so that kind of scares me, especially with, you know, Terrell Pryor kind of, if he's shaking out the cobwebs, you know, he had the concussion, so that kind of hurt, but they still beat Sandy. I, I don't know what to make out of Oakland. I never know what to make out of Oakland. So I don't know. Then I was looking at the Lions-Browns game, and I think I'd rather watch paint dry than watch that game at any point. So I'm going to skip that one. So the other two things I'm thinking are New Orleans and Cincinnati. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go near that. See, that's the thing. It's like New Orleans, I mean... You're going to have, be- you're gonna I know have better opportunities to one, pick both of those teams. I know the Patriots are 4-1, and one, but they're easily... You know how people say, oh, they're the best 0-5? They're easily the worst 4-1 and one team in the league. Or at least I well, should say... Well, they'll have Gronk back. That's right. But I should say they're at least, as of as it stands record-wise, they're easily the team that is 4-1, and one, and you're like, they could really be 1-4. and four. Mm-hmm. Let's be fair. They could mm-hmm. really be 1-4. and four. And New Orleans, I mean, just things are firing on all cylinders down there. So that's a tough one. And then Cincinnati, I mean, I don't know. It's Buffalo. You know what's weird is I, <laughs> I actually thought about picking Philly. It's Buffalo, and they're starting Fad Lewis. I mean— I thought about picking Philly— Against the Bucks, and they have the lowest. That's the lowest, uh, the smallest spread. Well, Michael Vick is out. That's why. Yeah, I don't know how I mean, much Nick that Foles, actually matters. I, this is this is probably going to sound mean when I say this. Nick Foles looked good last week, but he also looked good against a Giants defense that's been got, getting torched by everybody. This yeah, year. thirty points or more every game. So you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt and say, did Nick Foles have a really good game and he's developed, or is the Giants defense so bad that Nick Foles is able to pick him apart? I don't know. So, like I said, I'm probably going to just close my eyes, throw a dart at four or five teams on a board come Sunday morning and just say, boom, I'm in. Leaning towards New Orleans, Cincinnati against a Buffalo team starting Thad Lewis. I don't know, man. You know, if you're in on Kansas City, maybe I'll take Kansas City so that way I can't say you beat me if we both lose. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Yes Men. You can come back next week to find out how we did in the Survivor Pool, how we feel about the League Championship Series, how we feel about the Nets, and how we just feel about our feelings. For Doug Williams, I am Lou DiPietro, and I am saying we will see you next time. Peace.